I think it's much more a question of really seeing the trade-offs you have to make, really understanding that you have a finite amount of time, tiny amount of time in a day, tiny amount of time in a life by most sort of cosmic uh, measures, and you definitely won't do all or even many of the things that you could or would like to do. And so the challenge of time management, the real challenge, I think, is making those decisions wisely, figuring out in some conscious and, and meaningful way all the things you're definitely going to fail at. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about pacing yourself, where I explore how you can be more creative and resilient through the simple act of slowing down. If you've been listening since the beginning of the show last October, we're about to arrive at the moment you've been training for all along, a deep discussion of time itself. Obviously, the idea of time is baked into the title of this podcast. Hurry Slowly is a sort of oxymoron that asks you to hold two competing ideas in your mind at once. And today, I finally tackle the topic of time head-on in conversation with Oliver Berkman, a writer and thinker whose work I absolutely adore. Mostly because he's a self-help author who's constantly questioning the very notion of self-help, a fact that's evident in his wry book titles, the most recent being The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Positive Thinking. Lately, Oliver, who also writes a regular column for The Guardian, has been spending the bulk of his hours and days and weeks thinking about the nature of time as he works on his next book, 4,000 Weeks. And if you're wondering about the significance of that title, that's the average amount of weeks that most of us humans get here on this earth. Now, that doesn't really sound like much, so it's no surprise that most of us get a little anxious about trying to use our time well. But as you'll learn in this conversation, thinking about every single hour as a precious resource that we must use wisely or suffer the consequences might not be the best way to think about time management. Oliver and I dig into why getting more efficient actually just makes you busier, how the true challenge of time management is really about trade-offs, and the counterintuitive idea that maybe, just maybe, the goal of being productive for work shouldn't be the governing value of how we spend every second of our lives. Let's dive in. I keep reading lately that people in like various journalistic articles that every age thinks they're the most anxious age, mm-hmm. right? And do you think that like the same thing holds true for busyness that every age also thinks that they're the most busy or do you think that's just something that's actually unique to right now? Wow, that's, that's a really interesting question. One thing that I think is definitely true is that we, although we feel a lot busier than we than we used to, we're not actually objectively much busier than people in previous decades. So, if you define busyness in terms of you know hours that you have free in your schedule, or um, you know the amount of time you have to spend at your paid uh, occupation, there just isn't good evidence that that we're busier than we were. But everybody seems to feel a lot busier. Certainly, if you go back far enough into kind of, you know, pre-industrial uh, Europe, uh, I'm absolutely convinced, at least from what I understand from my reading, you know, that, that people would not have felt busy most of the time. That the con- there was something missing from the concept of time that people had then that would have allowed them to feel uh, busy, even if 
they had had to be constantly working just to, you know, just to make ends meet. So what do you, what do you think was missing? Or what, or what did they have that we don't have? Right. It's funny to define it as something missing, seeing as I'm sure that in that respect, it was a great thing and that we've basically lost something. Um, I think that uh, what they didn't really have was a, a governing concept of time as something external to them, a kind of grid overlaid over the rest of life or a kind of um, a kind of a yardstick that they had to try to keep up with. Uh, before clocks, before uh, watches, before um, you know most ways of measuring and and uh, and slicing and dicing time, uh, there just I just there wasn't this idea that uh, that time is moving and you can either keep up with the conveyor belt or you can sort of uh, use it badly and and get left behind. Um, you really need to create that that idea of time as an external thing in order to get all the problems that we, uh, that we have with, with time, because they're all problems of the relationship between what we're doing and how well we think we're doing and, you know, this, uh, this quantity that is consistently sort of running away from us and we've got to try to use as well as we can uh, while it's here. I think it was Henri Bergson, the philosopher, who makes this distinction between uh, time, sense and, and uh, duration, uh, this idea that, you know, there was duration, obviously. A, a given task would uh, unfold and it might take longer or less time than another given task. But but it's almost as if the time was embedded in the doing. I've, I still can't really express this in, in, in uh, good terms, but it was almost as if the time was embedded in the, in the activity rather than time is something that, against which you measure the activity. That makes me think of a couple of different things. This, I think, one, the idea of choices and how many choices we have now, literally for how to spend our time, which I think is certainly new and increasing every day. And then, you know, kind of going back to your first point about slicing and dicing, you know, literally just the, I guess, uh, creation of the personal calendar that you are constantly carrying around with you at all times. It seems like kind of both of those things might play in in a way. Yeah, totally. And they're completely linked, right? Because the whole idea of choices and this idea that you might be missing out on some better way of using your time than you are doing, or that there's an efficient way of using your time, or that something more enjoyable is happening while you're using your time in a different way. It all is based on this totally fundamental notion that time is something you get to use and make decisions about and it is you know we have this this idea now and i'm not suggesting we somehow try to sort of magic it away but all of that sort of sits on top of this idea that um uh it's a resource and it's up to us to use it in certain ways and we can get very sort of panicked if we think we're uh, using it in bad ways but then on top of that yeah i think that the specific question of of choice and a certain degree of autonomy, the degree to which we champion this idea that like getting to use your time how you wish is the kind of ideal of freedom to which we uh, generally, I think, as a culture aspire. And obviously it has amazing, uh, amazing upsides. But I think if you really push it to the limit, it's a very limited notion of freedom. It's a very sort of shallow and thin notion of, of freedom. And I always feel um, 
like I wouldn't want to be one of these people who um, I think I did once, but I wouldn't want to be one of these people who who have managed to live the life where they can just take their laptop to any beach that they choose and run their business for a few hours a day from the beach and just be completely unmoored. Because actually, there's something about lack of choice, something about the fact that you are living your life in synchrony with other people, or you're sort of anchored by certain obligations, family, friends. Uh, you're connected to a location, you know, there are things like this that turn out to be really important to our sense of well-being and fulfillment. And if you just think about freedom as like, I can, the perfect state would be if any minute of any day I could choose to do whatever I wanted. Quickly, I think you can see it becomes, uh, you know, in the limit, sort of a nightmare. (laughs) Have you looked at sort of alternative ways or like, have you seen different sort of cultural um, views about time that feel really different from that, this notion of it as a resource, like alternative ways of thinking about it, thinking about other things rather than time? Or yeah, right. There's two, time, there's two things here. One of them is just that, you know, if we can, it's a question of somewhat letting go of this, of this kind of optimizing mindset, somewhat being able to, uh, to truly sort of waste time and, and the sort of almost spiritual qualities of, of that. There's something I think essentially identical between the the much sought after spiritual goal of being present in the moment and the uh, idea of being truly completely idle even though one of them we celebrate and the other one we condemn I think like real idleness is the same thing as just really really being here and not trying to use your time exclusively for some future purpose or or goal that is uh, off in the future and therefore you end up valuing this future much more than the than the present moment and um you know some religious writing that i was reading the other day suggested that you know in a sense maybe the true definition of prayer is is wasting time you know it's this absolute un, unproductive no reason other than itself uh approach to 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 thinking about and, and being in time. And you see this in lots of contexts, you know, the, oh, the importance of unproductive time, the importance of relaxing, but almost always it sneaks in productivity through the back door because it says, like, if you want to be really creative, then learn to be able to be unproductive. And it's like, well, it's true. But on the other hand, that's kind of still being productive, isn't it? Because you're then sort of relaxing and and yeah, absolutely. I am totally governed by this mindset too. I only write books and think about things to try to sort of, you know, uh, you know, seek therapy for my own uh, issues. But um, it's actually really hard, I think, for people like me and you to just do something for its own sake completely um, and not to rest only because it'll make us better workers uh, the following day. Right, this idea of sort of relaxing in order to achieve right. some and it, other you know, end. It's true. If you want to be really productive at work, you should rest. Um, but it's also true that maybe it, this idea that of being productive for work shouldn't be the governing value of every uh, second that you spend in your life. Sort of separately from the idea of just learning to, to sort of control time a bit less uh, vigorously I, I think there's also this this problem that, that when we get into this time controlling mindset we get very very 
convinced that some version of kind of efficiency or optimization is is the way forward and that what we need to do the way to use time best is to try to come up with the way to do the most things in the smallest amount of time and that the solution to overwhelm is to get so good at doing stuff that it no longer feels like the stuff you have to do is overwhelming but it's really clear from personal experience from research from all sorts of things that if you get really really efficient at doing stuff you just get busier you don't get less busy you become a more and more efficient machine for processing work uh, for various different reasons we can go into if you like you know that sort of acts as a vacuum and brings more work into the into the pipeline so you get uh, busier and busier so even if you are focused on productivity which I think we all have to be to some extent uh, and want to be um, I think it's much more a question of really seeing the trade-offs you have to make, really understanding that you have a finite amount of time, tiny amount of time in a day, tiny amount of time in a life by, by most sort of uh, cosmic uh, measures, and you definitely won't do all or even many of the things that you could or would like to do. And so the challenge of time management, the real challenge, I think, is, um, is making those decisions wisely, figuring out, you know, uh, in some conscious and, and meaningful way, uh, w- all the things you're definitely going to fail at so that you can more calmly and, uh, you know, uh, meaningfully do, do that tiny number of things that you, that you do have time for. I like this idea of deciding which things you're going to fail at. That's very um, anathema to the way that we think about time and self-actualization and so forth these days. We not only sort of drive ourselves, but we live in this in a world and an economic situation. I think where um, there's an enormous pressure to try to do all of these things and to be sort of you know an incredibly good worker and uh, fully functioning uh, parent, spouse, uh, house maintainer, uh, and at the same time manage to get like you know time at the gym every day to stay healthy and and that's sort of the idea that it ought to be possible we sort of assume that it ought to be possible to fit all these things in and then we waste an enormous amount of energy trying to figure out like okay what's the method what's the technique how can I find more self-discipline or motivation and it's really interesting to stop at the beginning and say well hang on let's at least be open to the possibility that this thing is just not possible and if that's true that isn't a counsel of despair I don't think that is saying like okay that's how things really are and it's incredibly liberating because you never need to worry about the fact that you haven't managed to figure out a way to do everything because it was always going to be impossible. But yeah, it's not how we like to think. It's not how we're encouraged by the culture to think. And I think that lots of things like the speed with which uh, life unfolds on the internet, for example, acts, it sort of tricks us. It makes us think, well, things are going so fast. Maybe like just one more push, I could be sort of operating at the speed of light. You know, no one would ever imagine that they could send 300, uh, you know, physical letters in the day if you had to go to the mailbox of each one. So there just wouldn't be enough time. But it sort of feels like it ought to be possible to do that with with email. But A, it kind of isn't. And then B, they all generate replies anyway. So the better you get at clearing out your inbox, the faster it fills up again. It's time to pause and thank our sponsors, but stay tuned, because after the break, Oliver and I discuss why embracing your time limitations is the true path to success, and how, in very subtle ways we often don't realize, many of us wish our time away. This episode is sponsored by Hover. 
to learn a little bit more about them, I did a mini interview with Kai Brock, a customer and the creator of one of my favorite print publications about life, work, and technology, Offscreen Magazine. You describe off-screen as having a human-centered approach. What does that mean exactly for you? Uh, when we talk about technology nowadays, especially in mainstream media, it's often just about monetary success. And I think with off-screen, I wanted to become a voice that highlights that technology is, most of all, is about creating tools that help us become better humans. And most importantly, help us all. So it's not just about some rich white guys in Silicon Valley. It's about creating inclusionary tools that help everyone get onto the bandwagon of, of technology. Do you feel like Hover has a human-centered approach? For me, it's a tool. And I need to, that tool to be easy and fast and reliable. The website and the interface is quite minimal, which is exactly what I want from, from a tool like that. On the other hand, every time I had interaction with Hava and when I you know, go through their blog and, and read some of the customer stories, I think that's exactly what you just said. It's a human approach. It's, it's minimal, but at the same time, it, it actually connects with people and is responsive to, to, to customer uh, questions and feedback. And that's exactly what you want from any company, really. You want it to be getting out of the way when you need to get stuff done. But when you need them to be in your life, they are you know, fast and responsive. Hover. Getting out of your way when you need to get stuff done? Fast and responsive when you need them. Head on over to hover.com slash hurry slowly to get 10% off your first domain purchase. That's H-O-V-E-R dot com slash hurry slowly. We're kind of using this terminology of money, right? Like spending time, time as a sort of resource, and the idea that um, the sort of two ends of the time spectrum are, you know, kind of spending, well, it's all about spending and it's either about like optimizing it or, you know, getting the biggest return on it or wasting it. Like, is there a more subtle way, do you think, to talk about time or to think about time? Maybe a more useful metaphor than that, that kind of gets at, I don't know, maybe a bit more realistically at what the trade-offs are, or the fact that there are trade-offs, I suppose. I'm not sure that there is a better metaphor because I think the reason we go for the money metaphor is that it's the the closest thing. Time is incredibly, incredibly weird. You know, there's that famous line from uh, St. Augustine, I think, that, you know, I know what it is until someone asks me to tell them what it is and then I have no idea what it is. You know, if, if you go down in the direction of sort of physics and philosophical definitions of time, nobody has any sort of real clear sense of uh, of what the heck it is and there's good reason for that for that money metaphor uh, above all that you know since industrial the industrial revolution there has been this relationship between money and time it has been something that can be sold and bought i think more important than the the steam engine or anything like that in the process of industrialization was just this concept that you could um that there would be a market for time uh, uh which i think wouldn't have made any sense uh much before that. What do you mean but, by a market for time? Well, I mean, in the, if you were a sort of medieval peasant in England, at certain points in history, you might not have been involved in commerce at all. You might have just like raised a couple of goats and, and kept your family alive. And then um, you might have bartered things. But even once you got to the stage that you were selling things in the market and there was money and you were, you were sort of part of a, a nascent capitalist society... 
you were still selling things. It was still piecework. And it's only really with the Industrial Revolution and the, the move to the cities that this idea that the sort of great mass of people are going to make their money by selling their time. They're going to sell 10, 12 hours of their time per day and get a certain amount of money for it. And then you get this kind of whole new idea that uh, once you've sold your time to the factory boss, he kind of has a right to it. And if you're, there's all sorts of evidence in that period of the asset owners, the capitalists, you know, getting really, really upset by the idea that some people seem to do their job really quickly and then spend the rest of the day just like hanging around. It's like, well, no, it's my time. I bought it from you. You should be using it. And that's also sees the beginning of this kind of amazing moral panic in, in Britain, especially about uh, that, that rich people get very worried about what poor people do with leisure time, like they shouldn't have any really because they're just going to get up to no good. Um, and this all comes from this idea that, you know, time is something you can sell um, and and it is something you can sell. So time and money, they do they are equated in this important way. But when you then fast forward to the kind of jobs and lives that lots of us have today, um, it's just an incredibly weird kind of resource when you think about it because, um, you know, as everyone, many people have said, you know, you can't, you can't hoard time. You can't, if you, if, if once you have some money, uh, you have a lot of control over it. You could, you could just spend enough of it to stay alive and save the rest. You could invest it in certain ways, expose it to risk in the hope that it's going to get bigger. You could launch businesses or you can just spend it all and have a luxurious life. You can't do any of those things in the same way with money because everyone gets 24 hours at the beginning of the day and it's all gone by the end of the day. It's like a sort of ideal form of communism or something with, with, regard, to, with regard to time. And if our money worked like our time worked, it would be like, you know, every time I got paid a, a dollar and put it into my bank account, like another dollar would leave the other end of the bank account. I mean, that'd be outrageous. Uh, so I think the most of our problems can be seen as a result of this idea that we're trying to sort of, we're t- trying to take this kind of hoarding and efficient usage and frugality kind of um, mindset to something that like, is just going anyway, whether we like it or not, and you can't really manage it. And as you know, as I'm certainly not the first to say, what you can do is somehow try to manage yourself or your energy or how you choose to behave with regard to any individual bit of time, but you're not really managing time. So the whole idea of time management is really fake. At its core, yes. <laughs> I think a lot of useful things get called time management that don't make those mistakes but if you take it sort of literally and you think okay I'm going to manage my time and sort of move it around and do things with it it's immediately obvious that it's kind of absurd uh, as an idea now maybe that semantic disagreement doesn't matter very much if most people mean by time management uh, you know um, I'm going to do the most important task first thing in the morning when I have lots of energy and, and relegate the less important ones for the late afternoon when I'm falling asleep but I think it matters because I think that we get lured into these these ideas that you know we can if we get if we get fast enough we'll sort of reach escape velocity and we'll be at a point where um, we're just on top of everything and anything anyone can throw at us we're gonna we're gonna find time to do because we have such an awesome uh, time management system which would be the equivalent you know of saying like okay I've finally become a multi-billionaire, and there's really nothing that I could want with my money that I can't have. Um, 
it's a highly unrealistic goal that far too many people, especially in America, seem to think is, is within their reach. But it's not illogical. You, some people do become multi-billionaires, but nobody ever becomes a multi-billionaire of time. A time billionaire. No. I mean, if you're rich enough, you, right. can, you can get time, you can buy time by getting other people to do lots of other things for you. And to some extent, we all do that in, 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 in small ways. And, and the richer you get, the more you can do it. But it's not quite the same because you're still just manipulating you know, what activities you do with what slots of time. Mm-hmm. Do you think we could, could we come up with an alternative term to time management? <laughs> right, because the question is, what are more constructive ways to think about this, right? Mm-hmm. If the way that we're thinking about it, if we think about the term time management or we think about optimizing or we think about wanting, you know, getting more efficient, if all of those things sort of lead us in the wrong direction, what then are the things that, you know, could lead us in the right direction or just cause a little bit less anxiety, I suppose. And I think that, you know, maybe, as you say, you know, thinking about energy as opposed to time is one thing. I'm trying to think if there are other things that, you know, we would kind of like put in this bucket, like, okay, rather than thinking Mm -hmm. about time and being so worried about spending your time, maybe it's more constructive to think about energy you know, I don't know. Is there anything else? Um, yeah, I mean, I think one, one thing that I think is really important here, and I'm still trying to work out a way of talking about it that doesn't make me sound like, like the biggest downer ever, because I don't think it's depressing at all, ultimately, is this idea of really being conscious of and embracing the, your limits and the fact that we are sort of limited individuals, that, that we are limited in the lifespans we're going to have. Uh, that we're limited in our attentional bandwidth and our energy in the course of a, of a given day. And um, uh, there's an old, old self-help book called Teach Yourself to Live by a guy called um, G.E. Ducan, an old uh, English lawyer from, uh, well, many decades ago. Anyway, and he wrote this kind of little guidebook that was all um, based around this idea that embracing your limitations was was the path to success and he says like is this is this depressing no no it's not it's not it's like a it's like taking a very cold shower right I mean first of all it's kind of uh, a shock but after that it's kind of you know invigorating and exhilarating and you know where you are and you're no longer in his phrase befogged and bewildered Um, if you really turn to face the fact that you, you can only do a certain amount of in a life and in a day and it's always less than you think it's going to be as well. And if you can really, and I'm not saying I've got there, but if you can sort of really stare that, that truth down, um, I think it is incredibly relaxing and incredibly liberating because you stop this struggle that you were definitely never going to win, which is to find you know, a way to conquer time and to do everything that anyone could throw at you. Um, you can completely relax about that. That's just not on the agenda. So, you know, you don't go around feeling bad for not being able to jump three miles into the air because you just, that's not who we are. It's in our our natures to to not, not not in our natures to be able to do that. And from that start point, that sort of tumbling down to the ground, I think you can then say, okay, well, all right. I mean, I'm going to make somebody cross that they don't have my attention all the time. So who's it going to be? I'm going to... I'm going to be really bad at a whole bunch of things because I want to focus on a few of them. And um, let me decide what those are going to be for the next week, month, year. And maybe it's just my personality. Maybe it's just British people. I don't know. But I find that incredibly energizing because it's like getting off a 
hamster wheel. And 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 you know, yeah, you know where you are, and you can uh, you can set off in a much more concrete way. And uh, you know, really, any of us who are a little bit conflict averse and don't like displeasing people or saying no to requests or making editors cross because you're late with things you know it gets really maybe sometimes subconsciously but it gets really wearing sort of living a life where you're trying to make sure that never ever happens and you're always in the back of your mind fearing it and if you suddenly see like especially in our current situation in terms of knowledge work and the internet but but even just more generally in this sort of human condition if you see like it's definitely going to happen. Like somebody's definitely going to be pissed off with you. That's great. Like now we can just make sure that it's not the people I care about the most. But um, and you know, of course, they're never as pissed off as you think they're going to be. And uh, someone who emails me randomly out of the blue because they read a newspaper column I wrote and asks me if I'll read over their sort of uh, forty thousand word manuscript, like. When I reply and say, look, I'm really glad you thought of me, but I just don't have time for this, they're almost never angry. They're just like, no, of course. Like, I wasn't expecting you to drop everything. So, um, you know, I think that's a really good starting point for uh, dealing with, like, too many demands is to realize that there are always going to be too many demands. And so which ones are we going to focus on? Yeah, well, I feel like if you change the limits, I think you and I have talked before about, you know, different studies related to, like, moving to a different city or traveling to, uh, you know, a distant place, right, and how your perception of time slows down or, you know, the idea that if you're out in nature and you're experiencing awe and you feel small, then you feel more time affluent, right? So you feel like you have more time. So in many ways, it seems like we are, certainly perspective matters very much in terms of how we, how we experience time and how we feel about it. Definitely. Yes. No, absolutely. This is a whole other piece that I think is completely fascinating. This idea that um, whether it's really perspective or whether it's something to do with the cultivation of, of attention. I mean, I had always bought the argument, you know, that the reason time seems to speed up as we get older is because there's less and less incoming novel information to process. Uh, because that seems to chime so exactly with one's experience of travel, right? I mean, you know, places that I went for four days three years ago still feel like a little little chapter in my life. I can remember it. It feels like I had a beginning and an end, and it was there. Three or four days in the normal run of routine just absolutely vanishes in a kind of terrifying way. And so, yeah, you can... The given prescription here is always to do a lot of new things in your life, and I think that's, broadly speaking, a uh, a good idea. But the kind of reverse way of thinking about this, which I was really impressed by, I was reading about in a book by um, the meditation teacher Shinzen Young, he sort of makes the case that if you take it as read that we're kind of generally a bit distracted, go through our lives sort of distracted, sort of not paying full attention to experience, and uh, that through things like concentration meditation you can cultivate m m better focus, then you can sort of game the system from the other way. Instead of only going into situations where you are deluged with a lot more novel information, you could learn to pay like twice as much attention to the life that you're living. And, and in that sense, you would actually um, receive more uh, information to process and time would seem more expansive. And so he sort of argues that if you can get twice as good at paying attention, you'll live twice as long on any metric that really matters. Nobody really cares about how many years they get to claim they lived. They care that they felt like they were here for a really long time and that looking back on it, it feels um, 
incredibly long. And what's so great about this, I think, is that, you know, I think a certain part, portion of life is necessarily mundane. It is extremely difficult to live a life where all you're doing is seeking out exotic travel experiences. And I think if you do that anyway, there'll be lots of downsides, like, you know, never staying in touch with your people and, and uh, never getting to know somewhere. So this kind of holds out the promise that even if part of your life is just very routine, a bit of concentration, meditation, a bit of thinking about how you pay attention, you can find novelty inside the, the mundane as well as, you know, going on occasional trips to amazing uh, places. And, and that, I think, is kind of, I think that really gets to the core of, of, of another important point here, which is that in very subtle ways that we don't realize, we sort of wish time away and we're sort of carrying on mental random dialogues about other things in the hope that, you know, we'll get to the next thing and then but then you get to the next thing and you're waiting for the next thing. So um, pay more attention. That is a prescription and, a, and also a personal goal I need to get a lot better at. <laughs> okay, but so, right, you use the word personal goal, which is interesting, I think. Oh, yeah. In terms of, because we're constantly getting this advice, be more present, right? Mm -hmm. Be more present in the moment. And I've been really fascinated by this um, study that was done that I'm sure you've read that was kind of about what brings people happiness and what gives their lives meaning. And um, what brought people happiness was very much about sort of simple pleasures, getting what you want right now, being in the present moment. Mm. Whereas what gave their lives meaning was much more about connecting past, present, and future. And you know, so doing things like thinking ahead and planning, but also doing things that um, were, were frequently not pleasurable in the moment, you know, which could be, um, but had a lot of meaning in the long term. So, you know, moving through a marriage or mm -hmm. raising a child or building a business, yeah. you know, and so this idea that kind of meaning unfolds over time, but happiness kind of, you know, just unfolds primarily in the present moment. And so what I'm always wondering about is this, you know, I was always thinking about kind of like zooming in and like zooming out or, you know, to kind of move between those two states. I don't know. Maybe it's more about, because, you know, when you just, when you just say thinking about the present moment, it kind of like feels a little simple to me, mm -hmm. right? Especially if you're just someone who wants to make stuff, right? Like you can't just think about the present moment. So how do you reconcile this kind of like, I am a person who wants to make things which requires, you know, necessarily long-term planning with not getting so, you know, overwhelmed with this planning to the point of busyness and still being able to kind of be in the moment at times. Yeah, it's a, it's a big challenge. And I think part of the way I was speaking before sort of glosses over this. So you're, you're absolutely right to call it out. I think that um, it would be wrong to assume that what the good uh, spiritual teachers and others mean by presence is the same as sort of immediate gratification and, and pleasure. It is this question of attention, I think, and of really paying attention to what's happening. And again, I'm sort of borrowing this a little bit from Shinzen Young, but I think it is testified to by my own experience. The better you get at paying attention, the less important it seems to be whether what you're paying attention to is a sort of a stereotypically pleasurable thing or a stereotypically uh, like hard and unpleasant um, thing. 
And so you can learn, I believe, and occasionally have actually glimpsed it myself, to be, to be very, very with what you're doing, but frankly, to prefer that what you're doing be something that is building long-term meaning than something that is causing brief pleasure. And this is this idea that, you know, maybe the whole idea of using time is kind of flawed in a different way uh, that, that sort of evokes maybe sort of uh, Jungian psychology and things like this, that maybe it's about sort of asking what life is asking of us rather than what, how we'd like to uh, use our time. And then if you sort of say, well, like, what am I best placed to do here now? It's not going to be usually the thing that is most sort of gives you the instant gratification. It's going to be something difficult uh, because, you know, you're only here for a while and you have some unique combination of skills and and, uh, uh, and passions and all the rest of it. And, and so, you know, if you ask that question, I think it sort of begins to bring these questions together because uh, you want to be right here, right now. You don't want to miss your life, but you also don't want to spend it all in a way that looking back on it is going to seem uh, fruitless. And I think some sort of uh, Buddhisty people would say that ultimately, if you, the sort of at the extreme point, if you get kind of... Um, if you get really, really good at concentrating on experience itself uh, as experience rather than getting lost in stories about experience, then in theory, maybe no experience would be uh, anything but pleasurable in a way, that, that, that pain would not lead to suffering, that, um, that things that usually cause anxiety would not cause, you know, hard work would just feel like hard work and you could be completely equanimous, you know, about everything. I, I'm certainly not there. But so I think that's where you bring it. I think that's where it combines. I don't think that being present to what you're doing needs to mean uh, that you're choosing uh, quick gratifications over, over difficult meaning building. When I reflect back on the most meaningful moments of my life, And I think this is probably true for all of you listening as well. Those moments have all come when I've lost track of time. When I was sitting on a porch, having a great conversation, immersed in the challenges of a deep writing project, hiking up a mountain surrounded by the beauty of nature, or transported by a great art exhibit or an incredible book. The moments that stick are the ones of vulnerability and presence and also flow that holy grail of focus when you and the activity at hand are fully in sync and time falls away. But one of the hallmarks of the flow state is challenge. This idea that the difficulty level of what you're doing is just out in front of you. It's attainable, but it's hard. Recently, I was thinking to myself, when was the last time you did something truly difficult? Something that really pushed you to the limit? And I couldn't remember. Of course, I'm keeping busy and getting stuff done and making things all the time. But have I really confronted, as Oliver suggests, what life is asking of me? And it occurred to me that maybe getting overly obsessed with time management is really just a sleight of hand, one in which we spend all of our energy focusing on a difficult task that we will inevitably never succeed at, in this case, controlling time, as a distraction from the more difficult task of confronting 
what we're really here on Earth to do. Because if you think about what you're meant to do in life, the answer is probably not get really good at time management. Next week, I'll be interviewing Fanny Auger, the director of the School of Life in Paris and the author of a wonderful new book on the art of conversation called Treve de Bavardage, or Cut the Chit Chat. Fanny and I will be discussing how to have more meaningful face-to-face conversations in a world of digital distraction. We'll talk about how to become a better listener, why you should lean into silences, and questions you can use to jumpstart deeper conversations. Also, a quick reminder, if you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes if you're digging the show. Every rating helps us build momentum and find new listeners. And now, it's time for your final moment of zen. What gives you anxiety? Uh, The fear of future regret. I seem to spend a lot of time worrying that I'm going to regret things I'm doing in the future. I don't actually regret things in life. But I'm often worried that I'm going to regret in the future, which is completely irrational and annoying. And I'd like to not, uh, I'd like to not have that. This show was produced by Matt Susich, and our theme song was composed by Devin Craig Johnson. If you're enjoying the show and you're not yet subscribed to my newsletter, there's a 99.9% chance that you'll love it. It's all about how to find more creativity and meaning in your daily work, and you can sign up at hurryslowly.co. That's hurryslowly.co slash newsletter. As always, thanks for tuning in and remember to take your time. Thank you.